Good morning and welcome to downtown Presbyterian Church. So glad that y'all are here with us. My name is Jonathan Davis. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, whether you've been a member for a long time or are just visiting, uh, please know that we're really thankful that y'all are here with us this morning. Uh, we're continuing uh, an eight-week series this morning, uh, uh, doing an overview of Mark's gospel. And we've been looking at the theme of discipleship in Mark. And essentially asking this question, uh, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the term disciple, it's found throughout the New Testament. Uh, it simply refers to being a follower of Jesus. Or as we might say, being a Christian. And each week what we're doing is looking at, at different aspects of the life of the disciple. And this morning we're talking about this theme of forgiveness. And so I want us to look at two different passages this morning uh, the first is from Mark chapter 11, uh, which we've seen a few times uh, throughout this series. Uh, we're going to look specifically at verse 25. Uh, you know, this is really an important passage in the whole of Mark's gospel because we see some key themes come together. Uh, things like faith and prayer and this morning forgiveness. These are pretty key things in the life of the Christian. I also want us to look at a parable from Matthew chapter 18. This is a story that Jesus told that's going to help us further unpack his teaching on forgiveness. Uh, the passage from Mark is printed in your bulletin. I'm going to read that. Um, it's a longer passage from Matthew 18, so it's not all printed in your bulletin. Uh, so I'll be reading that uh, from a Bible. If you have one, it would be good to turn there as we read it. This is God's word from Mark chapter 11. And they passed by in the morning... They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter, Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer... Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. In Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his, with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask him to be with us as we consider it this morning. Our Father, we do come to you now as a people who need to hear from you. Lord, we need your truth. And in order to understand this, we need your Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts. We pray that your word would accomplish its intended purpose this morning. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want you to think back and see if you can remember the first time you got in trouble. Probably sometime when you were a child. I mean, like, when was the first time where you really felt that you had done something wrong? For me, it was in kindergarten. Uh, there was a boy in my class named Adam. And for some reason, Adam and I started exchanging words on the playground. Uh, and as a kindergartner, I'm sure it was something pretty serious, uh, like the use of certain playground equipment, uh, or like a ball, or something like that. But, but, but Adam and I started exchanging words. And... I said really mean things to him, but I didn't stop there. I got other people to say mean things to him, and then it turned physical, and so Adam and I began this five-year-old wrestling match on the playground, and Adam got hurt, and he walked away crying, and I knew as he was walking away that I had done something wrong, because I felt this wave of guilt sort of wash over me. And I immediately realized, this is not okay. What I just did is not okay. And uh, so we got home after school, and sure enough, the phone rings. My mother answers the phone, and I can hear her side of the conversation, referring to this altercation with Adam. She hangs up the phone and looks at me and says, Jonathan, get in the car. We're going up to school. And again, another wave of guilt comes washing over me. I felt terrible. I knew I was in the wrong. And I knew I needed to to apologize to Adam. And I knew I needed his forgiveness. Now, I could not have articulated this to you at the time, but I had this feeling, even as a five-year-old, that there was some kind of cost to getting forgiveness from Adam. And so what I did was I went to my room and I grabbed a bunch of baseball cards from my baseball card collection And I probably didn't phrase it like this, but my goal was to go back up to school and to purchase my forgiveness from Adam with baseball cards. So we go to school. I walk in with tears in my eyes. Adam, I'm so sorry. Here are some baseball cards. And he accepts them, gives me his forgiveness. The parents clear things up. And Adam and I go back to being buddies as if nothing ever happened. But even as a five-year-old, I knew the feeling of being guilty. 
I knew the feeling of needing forgiveness for something. And I also just sort of knew that there was a cost to forgiveness. Throughout Mark's gospel, forgiveness is a major theme. Both Christ's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. And our passages this morning highlight those two aspects of it. The forgiveness that's given to us by Jesus and the call that's tied to that of us to forgive other people. And grasping both of these things is crucial because Scripture always holds them together. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you uh, really struggle to believe that you're really forgiven for your sin. You just sort of always operate with low-level guilt. Uh, When the phone rings, you're convinced that someone is calling because you did something wrong. Um, There's a cloud that sort of lingers over you where you feel like you're the problem. And that something you've done is just too bad to ever be forgiven. So even when we do things like this assurance of the gospel in a worship service, you believe it for other people. But for yourself, you think, that can never be for me. I've messed up too much. Or I've done that one thing that's just too bad. Or I've done that one thing too many times. We struggle to believe we're really forgiven. But then there's, this also, there's also this command that's um, uh, for us to forgive others, right? Uh, that when we embrace the forgiveness offered to us in Jesus, we will then forgive other people. And we love this idea in theory, right? Look at the quote on the front of your handout from C.S. Lewis. This was haunting me all week as I was thinking through this sermon. Lewis says, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. It's great in theory, right? But it's so difficult to do. We feel the cost of forgiving someone who hurt us or who sins against us. And the bad news is we live in a fallen world where sin abounds and we sin against other people and they sin against us. And so the process of granting forgiveness and asking for forgiveness is is just a reality that we have to deal with. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and there, are, um, there are major um, monumental ways in your past in which you've been sinned against. Uh, wounds that, that, that are not just traumatic to remember, but have actually shaped the course of your life. Um, things like abuse or affairs, maybe abandonment. Um, These catastrophic things that were done to you, and and you're wondering, can I forgive these people that did this? Uh, Do I want to? Uh, If I do, what does it look like to forgive someone in the face of such traumatic sin? Maybe you're here, and there's other ways in which you've been sinned against. Um, Where where, uh, the sin was still very damaging to you, uh, but it was more part of the normal course of life. Maybe... Something came up at work where, where someone cheated you financially on a deal. And they got away with it. And, uh, and it but it caused significant damage to your business and, and personal financial hardship for you. Maybe something happened socially. Someone gossiped about you. Um, somebody shared something that was supposed to remain private. And now you don't want to show your face with a certain crowd of people. Kids, maybe at school someone spread a rumor about you. They said things that weren't true. And that changed the way the other kids at school started to think about you. 
Maybe there's someone at school that's always saying mean things to you. Maybe someone posted something on social media that was really hurtful. What are we to do with this call to forgive in light of these realities that we all face in some form or fashion? How can we become a people more ready to forgive? So as we consider the theme of forgiveness this morning, the scriptures speak to two important questions that I want us to grapple with. And the first is this, how can God forgive me? How can God forgive me? And secondly, how can I forgive others? So first question, how can God forgive me? Uh, Both of these passages that, that we're looking at this morning are grounded on God's forgiveness of us. Matthew 18, in this parable that we read, right? Jesus tells a story of a king settling accounts with his servants. And there's one in particular who owes him a very large sum of money. He begins to beg the king to forgive this large debt. And the king has pity on him and he does forgive the debt. He wipes the slate clean. The debt is taken away. That's how the parable begins. And it's amazing. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So he's tying our forgiveness of others to the forgiveness we've received from God the Father. So the king forgives the servant's debt. Jesus says, our father forgives us our trespasses. How does this actually work? How does this actually work? Does, can God just wave a magic wand and, and forgive us our sins? How is it that we really can be forgiven? Well, the answer is because of the cross. It's because of the cross. And, and you may know that, but what is it specifically about the cross that guarantees our forgiveness. There's this wonderful term that helps us understand. It's substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? It just means that Jesus stood in our place as our substitute and atoned or paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. Substitutionary atonement. And you see, all that has to happen because of God's holiness and justice, because of his perfect character. He can't just wave the magic wand. He can't just say, all right, I'm not going to worry about your sin. He must do something with it because of his character, because of who he is. It won't work for him to simply look past it. His wrath must be poured out. God is truly holy and truly just. So our sin had to be dealt with. And to what extent? What what, what is the penalty? What do our sins deserve? Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. It's death. This means that, that any sort of imperfection, any sort of disobedience, no matter how small it may feel to us, any sort of rebellion against God, any way in which we do not perfectly live up to and fulfill the law that he has given us, Deserves punishment and wrath and ultimately death because of how holy and righteous and pure God is. Sin has no place in his presence. It just can't. We've had a lot of utility workers in our neighborhood recently. Uh, They've been replacing all of the old utility poles. Now since 
since living in our neighborhood, I've never once driven by an old utility pole and thought, you know, someone should really come and replace these utility poles. Never thought that all that at all until they came and started actually replacing the poles. Because what they do is they'll come in and right next to the old utility pole, they'll bury a brand new, perfectly straight utility pole. And they'll leave both of the poles sitting there and they'll let the new ones settle into the dirt. Because they're very large, right? They'll let the new ones settle into the dirt and find its secure footing. Then they'll move all the utility wiring, electrical wiring over to the new, new pole. Then they'll take the old one out. So for the time being, there are always two poles next to each other, an old one and a new one. Now, if you drive through my neighborhood and you look at these poles, you'll see a perfectly brand new, perfectly straight utility pole and an old, crooked, rotting one that looks like it's about to fall over. I never noticed how old and how bad those utility poles were until they put the perfect new one next to it. It's this perfect standard to see whoa, those really needed to be replaced. We need to get those things out of there. Those are not what they're supposed to be. The book of Isaiah gives us this vision that gives us this this great illustration of God's holiness and our sin in his presence. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 7. Listen to Isaiah describing this vision that he has and his response to seeing God in his perfection. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. And the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. So Isaiah sees God in his holiness, in his splendor, and he's undone. Woe is me. I can't stand in the presence of the Holy One. When you encounter God for who he is, when you encounter the standard that he's set before us, are you overwhelmed with the ways in which you've fallen short? Do you feel your uncleanness before the Lord in this way? Uh, Have you felt the need for that burning coal to come and touch you to atone for the ways which you don't measure up? This is the bad news that the scriptures speak about us as people. But do you know what happened on the cross? God gave us a substitute. God gave us a substitute on the cross Jesus stood in our place as our substitute and he absorbed the wrath that we were supposed to absorb. We deserved it, yet he took it in our place. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he's saying that God the Father made his son Jesus 
to take on our sin so that we might become his righteousness, that we might take on the righteousness of Christ. So you see this amazing exchange that takes place. Our sin is given to Jesus, and his righteousness is given to us. Now, this was not cheap. This was not easy. Jesus had to die in order for us to be forgiven. There's always a cost with forgiveness. With my friend in kindergarten, I could feel that there was a cost, and I I tried to pay it in baseball cards. The cost of our forgiveness was the death of Jesus. We can really be forgiven because of the cross. All right, how does this forgiveness actually become ours? It becomes ours through faith. This becomes ours through faith. It doesn't become ours uh, if we're just really good, if we kind of uh, get our lives together, if we go to church and do church things a lot and hang out with church people. That's not how we get this forgiveness. This forgiveness becomes ours through faith. You've likely heard this term faith before. What does it mean? Very short definition. Faith is receiving and resting. Faith is receiving and resting on what Jesus has done for you. This is the good news of our forgiveness, that we receive and rest on the work of Christ, on his perfectly righteous life, on his atoning death. So with this nagging question of, how do I know I'm really forgiven? I just don't feel forgiven. Receive and rest on what Jesus has done for you. Remember reading a story about a person back in Kentucky who had won the lottery? But they didn't know they had won. They had something like 180 days to come forward with the winning ticket. And they knew the winning ticket had been purchased at like this certain gas station. Uh, they, had, they had tracked it down. Um, but this guy just never showed up. Meanwhile, he had won $1,000 per day for the rest of his life. per day for the rest of his life was his. And all the guy had to do was go to the gas station, show him the ticket, and receive the money. And then keep receiving the money every day for the rest of his life. But somehow he didn't know he had won, so he never came forward to claim these riches. To not embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior is to miss out on these riches that are ours in him. These riches of full forgiveness that he has guaranteed for us by his death on the cross. And it's yours simply by receiving and resting in Jesus. So the finished work of Jesus on the cross, it shows us and it guarantees for us the reality that we really are forgiven. And guess what? You are not the exception to that. And that thing you did is not the exception to that. The cross speaks louder than your nagging guilt. The cross speaks louder uh, than those vivid memories you have. In Christ, you have full and final forgiveness. Now, this is key to understand. This is key to embrace. This lavish grace that God has shown us. Because it's only when our hearts grasp this that we'll begin to actually really forgive other people. 
So let's consider this second question. How can I forgive others? How can I forgive others? Look back at verse 25 from our passage in Mark. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So Jesus says, when you're praying, forgive those who sin against you. So that your Father in heaven will forgive you. By implication, if you won't do this, if you refuse to forgive others, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you. Look at the passage in Matthew 18 again. Remember the context of this parable is Peter asking Jesus, Hey, how many times do I need to forgive someone if they sin against me? Maybe you've wondered that same question. And Jesus responds with this story. And so we already talked about this, right? The king forgives this one servant this enormous debt. Enormous debt. Sets him free. This same servant then, who's just been forgiven this enormous debt, goes out and finds another servant that owes him money. A much smaller sum of money. What does he do? He grabs him by the neck and he chokes him and he demands that his money be paid. And the guy begs to forgive the debt, but he won't do it. So he sends him to jail. And as the reader, as you're reading this, it's totally maddening. Because you see this disconnect between how this servant was forgiven, how this servant was treated, and how he then went and treated uh, others. Total disconnect. And it's really frustrating to read this, right? How does the king respond? Verse 32. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And then Jesus finishes the parable by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The servant had been shown grace, yet he refused to show grace to others. And so we have to look in the mirror and ask the question, do I show grace to others in the same way that God has shown me grace? Have I been so captivated with the grace and mercy of God towards me that I am becoming the type of person that shows that same grace and mercy towards others? You know, Jesus takes our forgiveness very seriously. This is echoed throughout the New Testament. And this should make us squirm a little as we think about how does this get worked out in my life? You know, often instead of of showing grace and forgiving others, um, we might just refuse to forgive and and just hold faults over people's heads. Uh, Or maybe we're more polite about it and we just tuck it away uh, so we have this ammo to hold against them at just the right time. We can sort of always one-up that person we have this thing that they did that we haven't really forgiven them for that we can throw back at them at any moment or maybe we forgive in lip service only we say I forgive you meanwhile we distance from the person we slowly block them out of our lives we slowly just let the relationship go but Jesus tells us to treat them the way he has treated us to forgive as we have been forgiven. This is really hard. 
How can we do this? We can do this only by keeping the cross central. It all goes back to the cross. We have to keep the cross central in our relationships. And this really is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. Because when we enter this kingdom of God by faith, we are no longer a retaliation people. We are no longer a grudge holding people. We're no longer a get even people. In Christ, we are now a forgiving people. And it's God's forgiveness that brings us into this kingdom. And it's our forgiveness of one another that defines our life with each other in this kingdom. God's grace has to be so central in our hearts that it just seeps out into all that we do, into how we relate with others, into how we lean into the world. Well, I really love this time of year. Fall um, is definitely my favorite season. Um, a few years ago, during the fall, my wife, Erin, um, started making homemade applesauce. So essentially, um, she added a bunch of apples and spices into a crock pot. Uh, by the way, I have a friend that calls fall crock pot season. Uh, so welcome to crock pot season. Uh, but she put all these apples and spices in the crock pot and she just let it cook all day. And so here the crock pot stood at the center of our house in the kitchen. And as the apples begin to cook, the aroma just gets stronger and stronger. It spreads throughout the kitchen, into the living room, into the bedrooms. And eventually when you open the front door, you're just hit with the aroma of these baking apples. And it just smells so, so good. When we keep the cross of Christ central in our hearts, we will more and more have this aroma of forgiveness in our relationships. It will more and more flavor how we engage with people, how we respond to others who sin against us and hurt us. You know, the temptation here is to say, okay, I agree with that. I'm on board. You know, I'm going to go out this week and I'm just going to be more forgiving. You know, I'm glad you talked about this because I'm going to work really hard on this thing this week to forgive others. But counterintuitively, this is not actually how we become a more forgiving people. Um, Our hearts have to be so captivated with the grace of Jesus Christ, have to be so warmed by his mercy towards us, that it begins on the inside and then overflows out into our relationships. How can we really forgive others? By keeping the cross of Christ central. All right, I want to finish by thinking about what it looks like to move further into forgiveness in your relationships. To think about applying this uh, into some of your relationships that you have. And the first question I would ask is, is where might God be calling you? Where might God be prompting you to reconcile a relationship or to seek forgiveness or to grant forgiveness? What might this look like? You remember, granting forgiveness, it's really difficult. You saw the quote from Lewis on the front that we love the idea of it, but it's so hard in practice. And there are a lot of particulars to our different situations. There are a lot of nuances to our our stories and our past. I'm sure this will be great community group discussion for us this week. So we obviously can't, can't speak to all the outworkings, but I want us to think about three things as, as we seek to apply this scripture uh, to forgive others. 
The first would be this. Um, to forgive others, but know that some sins have lasting consequences. Forgive others, but know that some sins have lasting consequences. And practically, we know this. There are consequences to our actions. Um, we can forgive someone, and yet the consequences still linger. Relationships may never be the same, even though we've forgiven someone, or they've forgiven us. Uh, sometimes there are situations where someone has done something to you, and, and you have to like, report them to authorities, because what they've done is illegal. Uh, and if you don't report it, they could harm you again. They could harm someone else. There are consequences to their sin. You know, tragically, when I worked on campus with college students, maybe once a year, I'd have a girl come to me and talk about how she'd been assaulted. And while forgiveness would eventually be part of the conversation that we would grapple with together over time, the first thing that she would do is, do is report it for her own safety and the safety of those around her. Sin has consequences. This also means that, that sometimes the full reconciliation that we hope for may not be possible this side of heaven. Because sometimes people don't repent to us for things they need to. Sometimes people don't acknowledge the wrong they've done. And so we'll never experience that full reconciliation that we long for. But the thrust of this passage of God's forgiveness of us and what it does to our hearts is that it changes our hearts into a people ready to forgive and a people who are always working towards forgiveness. So as we think about applying this, forgive others, but know that some sins have lasting consequences. The second thing I'll say is forgive others, but still hate what God hates. Still hate what God hates. Forgiving others does not mean treating evil lightly. Uh, the cross is proof that God did not treat evil lightly. Uh, we can forgive others, but still hate sin and evil and the destruction and pain that it has caused. Uh, forgiving someone doesn't mean ignoring the pain or the hurt that you've experienced. This world is not the way it's supposed to be, and sometimes people do things to us that they're not supposed to do. We can forgive them, but we can still hate the sin that God hates. Sin has consequences. We can still hate what God hates. Third, forgive others and commit to the ongoing process of forgiveness. Commit to the ongoing process of forgiveness. You know, Depending on your situation and the circumstances, granting forgiveness to others, it, it may be a daily battle. One in which you're committing this ongoing process of forgiving them. You know, it's significant that in the Lord's Prayer that we pray together every week that, that we ask God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Those things are always together in prayer. In Mark 11, verse 25, which we read this morning, Jesus is talking about our forgiveness in the context of prayer. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Uh, your forgiveness of another person, it may be a lifelong process of wrestling with the Lord in prayer, asking him to help you do this. Lord, help me not hold a grudge today. Lord, change my heart and make me more forgiving. 
Lord, help me remember my forgiveness today. Lord, forgive me for not being good at forgiveness. Help me. Give me strength to do this. Remember, it's not easy. There's always a cost with forgiveness. And when you forgive someone, you're saying that I absorb this cost instead of you. That's what we see that Jesus did for us on the cross. Forgive others and commit to this ongoing process of forgiveness. What's our hope in this? What's our hope in this? Our hope is that we're not alone as we seek to forgive others. But Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside us in which he is guaranteed to make us into a people who are one day perfectly forgiving of others. You will not do this on your own strength. You can't. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, making you into a person who will be perfect at forgiving others one day. And Jesus, by his resurrection, guaranteed that in you. He who began that work in you will bring it to completion one day. That Holy Spirit is living in you, giving you the power to more and more forgive others. Let me pray and ask God to make us into such a people this morning. Our Father, we do thank you for your forgiveness of us. And Lord, we acknowledge this is a difficult thing. This is a lot to get our minds around. Lord, this gets into the weeds of our lives and our relationships and our stories. And we cannot go there without your grace to us. So Lord, I pray most of all this morning that that you would impress your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ deeply into our hearts. That we would be so captivated with Jesus that the aroma of his forgiveness would begin to spread to every part of our lives. Lord, we cannot do this without the help of your Spirit. Would you empower us to do this today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.